0: I'm Rabbi Nicole Guzik. And I'm Rabbi Erez Sherman. And, and this is Sinai, Sinai Temple, Temple Torah, Torah Talk. Talk, a channel for your daily dose of drash, abyssal Torah, from our home to yours. Catch up with the latest rabbi sermons, Torah classes, rabbinic insights, and more. Follow us now so you don't miss a word. Infusing Torah in our daily lives. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Passover edition of Thursday Morning Torah. Uh, today, we are going to continue our exploration of a couple of the themes of Pesach. And uh, in order to do that, even though I don't know that I'll need to attend to it, but I did bring a Haggadah. And I do want to start with the idea, which is a peculiar one, if you're not used to it, that the central or a central celebration of the Jewish tradition is a meal that is mandated by a book. The idea that you sit down and the book tells you what to say, what to do, what to eat, is a peculiar one. And for most religious traditions and celebrations, that's not what you would think um, it would be about. And the uh, the point and purpose of uh, having a book, of course, is that the Pesach is the kind of celebration that enables um, the uh, the celebrant to be part of a communal experience, a familial experience, not only an individual experience. Um, and the kagada allows that Uniformity, that's why the Seder is called a Seder. It has an order. Um, because the beginning of the meal talks about the sequence in which the meal is supposed to be um is supposed to be enacted. And that of course lets you know that there's a certain regimentation to the celebration of freedom, which is a kind of paradox that maybe we'll explore in a little bit. Uh, the purpose of the Pesach Seder is ultimately, however, if you ask, I mean, you can say on the one hand, the purpose of the Pesach Seder is obviously to remember, you know, the, uh, the Exodus from Egypt, and the deliverance of God and so on and so forth. But the deeper purpose of the Pesach Seder, which I think we recognize, um, as we enact it, is to enchant children and to teach them um because the seder is the transmission of the central story and therefore the central message of god's deliverance and so you have the four children and you have the four questions and you have the puzzle songs at the end all of them intended to inveigle the kids and to get the kids interested, and it is true, although you can obviously have a Seder without children. It's a very different quality Seder with children and without children. And if you have it with children, you do get the sense that this is the point of the celebration is to have kids um, be, uh, be amazed and interested in the story of Jewish survival and deliverance, and the seder points both back and forward. That is, it puts points backwards to the deliverance that was, to the story of the Exodus, and it points forward to the deliverance that will be with Elijah. <clears throat> now, those of you um, who uh, who read my Jerusalem Post column will know that uh, this week is um, posted on Facebook and on uh, on um, Twitter, and also obviously in the Jerusalem Post, uh, this week I wrote about why Elijah comes during Pesach. There are a couple times in the Jewish year when Elijah is supposed to come, Yom Kippur, Brit Milah, the end of Shabbat, the end of Pesach. And there are different reasons given for each of those appearances of Elijah. But the other deeper reason that ties them all together is that, um, all of them are family times. So. And that's why we read on Pesach, the Levavot al-Banim al the Prophet Malachi says the hearts of parents will be turned to children and children to parents, um, because that's a foretaste of the Messiah when you have that sort of closeness and intimacy in a family setting. Now, I wanna go over a couple of the symbols of and ideas of Pesach uh, and perhaps that will help give you something to say at your Passover Seder if you don't have something to say. Um, And the first is that the essence of the Haggadah is indicated by the word Haggadah, which means the telling. That is Judaism wraps its lessons up in stories. That's what we do. The deepest lessons are not, I tell you this, but as as actually, let me put it to you, as beautifully as Philip Pullman, uh, the author of the the Lyra series. um, I can't remember what the dust, uh, I can't remember the name of his series of children's books. Um, wonderful books, and uh, he said, um, "Thou shalt not" speaks to the head. Once upon a time speaks to the heart. And Judaism early realized that <clears throat> it isn't that it doesn't have laws and declarative statements. Of course, it does. But most of what Judaism is and is about are stories, and the story of the Pesach is the central story. So you tell it at the Seder in order for children to be brought in to this story and to feel themselves a part of it. Everybody should feel as if he or she, him or herself, came forth from the land of Egypt because you're part of the story. This, you know, is the Latin proverb has it, change the name and the story is about you. Um, and that's why we reenact it in a certain sense because uh, a story like the Pesach is a story that always is that in every generation, we see it now, Ukrainian Jews. In a previous generation, we saw it with Persian Jews and a generation before that with Eastern European Jews over and over and over and over again, there are Jews who flee from where they had to live as my ancestors did. Um, In order to find a better life in a better place, uh, because uh, until we arrived in Israel, we didn't have a place that was permanent and that was safe and that was home. So that begins with the Pesach story. And that's part of what the Haggadah, I mean, the central part of what the Haggadah is supposed to teach us. Then there's one symbol that actually I'm not, I'm just going to hint at, but I'm not going to talk about very much. And that is And I'm going to propose a question to you that I intend to answer in my um, sermon Shabbat morning and in my column next week, which is Marur is the bitter herb and it represents the bitterness of slavery and it's bitter. And that makes sense. And the salt water represents the tears and tears are salty and Jews cry tears over slavery and that makes sense. The charoset is supposed to represent the mortar of the bricks that the Jews built in the land of Egypt and it's sweet and that makes no sense. Why should it be sweet? It represents the building that they were forced to do as slaves. I want you to think about that a little bit. And as I said on Shabbat morning, the first day of Pesach, I will give you my answer. And uh, if you don't catch it then, you can always catch it on YouTube, obviously, or on Facebook, but also um, we can talk about it. Uh, you can find it in the Jerusalem Post column where we can talk about it next time. There won't be a Torah class on, on Passover, but there will be a Torah class after Passover and we're going to reinstate in-person classes in the synagogue, we will still broadcast. So those of you that can't be there in person, you're welcome to watch on, uh, on camera, but if you can be there in person, uh, God willing, in two weeks, uh, in two Thursdays, we will be in person at nine o'clock uh, for the class in the synagogue. Um, and uh, the other thing that I wanted, to, one of the a couple of the other things that I wanted to say about Passover is. Um, I mentioned a question last time, and I, I got a different answer to it in the course of the week, um, and I want to offer you the answer, even though I don't think that it's an entirely adequate one, it's one worth thinking about. If you recall, <clears throat> I asked, how can you justify the fact that God left the Jews in slavery for hundreds of years before um, finally liberating them? and uh, even though the Jews who were liberated were obviously pleased, um, the Jews who were uh, for hundreds of years in slavery, they did not have the opportunity um, to see the great deliverance. And my answer was to the extent that it is possible to understand it today, that punishment and reward in the Torah is mostly corporate. It's about the people, not about any individual. So as long as the people is ultimately delivered, that's deliverance. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs has an essay that I read this week um, in which he talks about the fact that uh, every great blessing in order to appreciate it, requires at first that you don't have that blessing. Abraham doesn't really appreciate who the the treasure of Isaac until he comes to the verge of losing him um, through the Akedah. And I mean, just think of like, if you ever, you know, were in a supermarket with your child and you lost your kid and then you found them, think about how tightly you hold them close, why? The Same kid that you had 20 minutes ago, but the prospect of losing something or the actual losing of something makes it inestimably dearer, and so Sachs' read of this is that the Israelites actually had to lose their freedom, because had they not lost their freedom, they would not really have understood what it means to be free, and what does it mean to be free, and here uh, uh, in the other column that I write, the, the my Jewish learning column, and the one that's sent out to Sinai, I talk about the fact that Passover represents two different kinds of freedom. There is freedom from and freedom to a distinction made um, actually very powerfully by Isaiah Berlin, whose letters are right up there. Um, and uh, a philosopher um, who taught for many years, at Oxford originally was born in Russia, Russian Jew. and Berlin says, it's one thing to be freed from external coercion. That is, nobody's telling you what to do. But that's not full freedom. Because nobody's telling me not to play the saxophone. But I still am not free to play the saxophone because I don't know how. There is a freedom of potential as there is a freedom from coercion. I'm free to learn how to play the saxophone but i'm not free to play it i will only be free to play it if i learn how to play it then i have actually more freedom because i have more skill and the ability to fulfill your potential gives you more freedom not less and the israelites Generally, our quote, I mean, the the phrase that everybody quotes is, let my people go, which is negative freedom. That is the freedom from the coercion and the oppression and the will of the Pharaoh. But there is another kind of freedom, which is instantiated in the second part of that sentence. Let my people go, that they may serve me. That's what it says, (laughs) shlachet ami And God is saying it's not only a question of negative freedom, it is also a question of positive freedom. It's a question of being able to be free so that you can accomplish something in this world. And the idea of the Pesach, the deeper idea, is that it gives you tools through the Jewish tradition to fulfill your potential as a human being to become who it is you are supposed to be. And therefore not only talks about how other people can't control you, but how you can control yourself because that discipline is a deeper kind of freedom. I mean, what person is more free? The one who has self-discipline or the one who doesn't the second lives a chaotic life and, uh, uh, an undisciplined life and a life full of contingency and difficulty and the first can live a life where they can realize what it is they want in this world. And I mean, given obviously contingent on all sorts of external circumstances, but in theory they can't because they have the discipline and the drive um, to do that. So, uh, um, <clears throat> Uh, no, I've never heard of, of cream cheese being used as charoset, although it's an interesting question. Charoset, as far as I know, is always nuts and apples chopped up and so on. Um, and if you have uh, nut allergies, I guess you would make uh, some, some kind of puree with maybe apples and raisins. Um, but why charoset is sweet, as I said, we'll have to wait for a later, uh, for a later elaboration. Um, But all of these themes, which are deep themes, are part of the seder. And if you think about it, it's one of the reasons why the seder is directed towards children. Because children are the ones who need to hear that freedom consists in part in discipline. You know, I mean, think of a kid who sits down to take piano lessons. They're free to bang the keys, but they're not free to make music. No. And you say to them, you have to do these hand exercises and you have to do these scales, and you have to learn the notes. And only when you do that, will you in fact be free to be able to play music. Um, So the combination of um, freedom from outside influences and potential from inside possibilities, that's true freedom. And that is the freedom that the religious tradition is supposed to give. One other interesting uh, essay that I read and I thought was worthwhile um, was uh, was in, uh, in also from Rabbi Sachs, was in the Koran Haggadah where he talks about why does the matzah begin as the bread of affliction and then it begin and then it ends the Seder with the Afikomen as the symbol of liberation. And he found a passage in Primo Levi who's someone I'm actually going to quote on Shabbat morning, but in a different context, uh, who survived Auschwitz and wrote a a book um, called If This Is a Man, uh, a remarkable book about Auschwitz. Uh, Levy was an Italian chemist. And and he talks about how um, after uh, some of them worked um, and managed to, to get some food that, other inmates were willing to share bread. That is, once they were okay, a little bit better, then all of a sudden the human heart opened. And while there were moments in the camp where nobody was willing to share bread, when things eased up a bit and people became more human again. um, And that's, Sack says, the progress of the matzah. When the Jews are slaves, The food is just an affliction and it's just something you want to grab and it's something you want to put in your mouth and it's purely a human need but as liberation beckons it becomes an opportunity to share and to be open and represents liberation i think that we can all understand this how the impulse to be generous is partly situation dependent and if we can create conditions where people feel more secure and safe. It enables them much more easily to be generous. And of course, generosity is at the heart of the Pesach Seder. Let all who are hungry come and eat. Um, We open the door not just for Elijah, but for the hungry on the assumption that uh, this is a time when everybody ought to have the possibility of celebrating the Passover, celebrating deliverance and and praising God. And remember that the, the blood on the doorpost, which was a sort of ancient mezuzah, was a signal and an act of faith. Because to put that on your doorpost signal to the Egyptians, this is a Jewish house, just like today, to put a mezuzah on your doorpost signals to people, this is a Jewish house. And in much of Jewish history, that was a dangerous thing to do. And Passover was a particularly um, bad time for Jews in Christian lands because it coincided with Easter. And there were all sorts of uh, defamations about how Jews had poisoned the host, the host being the wafer. Um, that represents Jesus' body or had desecrated the host or had used blood of children to bake matzah and on and on. And all of this made Passover and opening the door on Passover such a frightening and double-edged uh, practice. And part of the reason why the Haggadah preserves that tradition of opening the door and saying, pour out your wrath upon those who have been cruel um, and laid waste to to Israel. Um, And yes, I agree with Linda. It's the transformation inner and outer of hope and freedom. And the matzah is both. Because as we spoke about last time, um, liberation is both a national process and an individual process. It's something that happens in the world and it is something that happens in the human soul, or at least should happen in the human soul. And Pesach represents that great struggle to try to create a world in which there is greater goodness and to try to create a soul in which there is greater space and freedom. Um, and the Uh, the two often go in tandem in this world. That's why the tradition says that the mitzvot were given, rak litzaref et hapryot, to refine human character. Because if you refine human character, then what human beings will be doing will be better, kinder, um, sweeter, and that certainly is something to hope for on this Pesach. And it's one of the reasons, by the way, why the events in the world tend to intrude on the Passover particularly. And I think that many people around the world, many Jews around the world will be in one way or another um, remembering uh, Ukrainians on this Pesach um, holiday. So that's a little bit about the Haggadah. About the Seder, I hope that you will join us on Shabbat morning um, when we'll have much more uh, and talk about this and also um, talk about uh, talk about the uh, I'm going to talk about the the question of my uh, of my being a Sinai because as some of you may know, I announced that, that after a year I will be stepping down um, and I will still continue at Sinai as an emeritus, but I will be stepping down as senior rabbi. And I'm also going to talk about that since the first time I've had the chance to address the congregation since that announcement was made. And I hope that you will uh, come along and join us. Um, I hope that you have a wonderful Seder the first night. Chag kasher B'Sameach. that your holiday is filled with ritual, um, with family, with people that you love, people that you're close to, or people that you become close to in the course of celebrating this wonderful holiday together. And may the coming year be a year of more freedom, both inside our souls and God willing, uh, inside the world. Take care, Chag Sameach.